Hello and welcome once again to episode 27 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode. And I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Ben. Hey, hey. And Fernando. Hello, hello. So before we get into our main topic, which, spoiler alert, uh, is the Apple event, which just happened this morning as we record, it's time for our Indie App Spotlight. Spencer, can you take it away? All right. The first app that we have today is called Quiet. Um, it's a content blocker for Safari uh, for both macOS and iOS, which I think is really cool. Um, so it's just an extension that you install, uh, and you can kind of toggle on and off which things you want to be um, enabled or disabled. So it's not just like kind of a, a one, you know, you, you flip the switch and everything's gone, but you can kind of choose what you want. Um, some of the ones that I saw, for example, were uh, that, you know, I thought were particularly nice that I would use would be something like the um, the notification prompts. It's like, hey, do you want to allow notifications on this website? Those, those annoy me. <laughs> um, Google Translate ones are, are cool too at times. Um, and on their website, they've kind of got a highlighted review, and I'll just read a part of it, and I thought it was really cool. It says, I appreciate that Quiet strikes the balance of uh, the balance of blocking prying eyes but allowing ads. As annoying as ads are, they are the necessary evil, evil to keep your favorite websites afloat. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, you know, no one really enjoys ads, but they are kind of that necessary evil, like this review says. So, um, you know, you can get rid of a lot of other things that aren't ads like, you know, again, notification prompts, uh, coin miners, um, different social media um, embeds and everything like that. So give it a give it a look. It looks really awesome. Okay, the next topic that we have is called Mezzanine. Uh, it's the way that they described it was it's letterboxed for uh, for theater which is awesome. Um, Letterboxd is one of my favorite apps. I think it's really well done. And so is uh, Mezzanine. It's got a really kind of very clean user interface. Um, it's got, you know, the ability to rate your, um, rate the, the plays and uh, theater productions that you go to, um, add things like, uh, you know, you can scan in, um, the playbook, you can, uh, it's got both an iOS and um, iPad OS kind of uh, interface. So everything is kind of well made for, for every device. Um, it's got a really cool feature too, where you can even use your camera to, you know, you, you hold the playbook up to it and it will recognize that. So I don't know if it's doing a little bit of uh, machine learning there, but um, some really cool features. Uh, it's got you know, search functionality to figure or to find the um, the production that you're looking for. Uh, it says it includes over 1,500 productions, um, so plenty to to take a look at. And you know, if you're really into that, I think this would be a perfect way to kind of catalog all of that for uh, yourself and for others to use. All right, uh, the last app that we have is called Under My Roof, and actually, this is a um, rewrite completely of the app that they originally had a request that we do, which is called Home Inventory, which actually was an App Store Editor's Choice Award winner, which is awesome. Um, both of these apps, uh, you know, essentially do the same thing. They're um, meant to literally keep an inventory of your home or really your personal belongings if you don't actually own a home, doesn't matter. Um, 
just going off the description here, it's got a couple really cool features that I, I didn't really even consider about why you would want to use something like this. So uh, keeping track of maintenance and repairs, uh, making helping it, uh, you make claims for your property insurance if something happens, uh, making sure that you know you can actually uh, have a, an accurate um, handle on everything that you own and not having to think about it. Uh, after the fact of, you know, something happening, um, things with, uh, you know, helping you, uh, with your estate and, and writing a will and everything, um, managing your move, I think is a, a huge one, which I, I personally hate moving and I will always lose stuff every time I move. Uh, so knowing, you know, what's in a specific box, that's, that's amazing to me. So lots of cool features, including ones that I haven't listed here. So, uh, go check out um, under my roof or um, or uh, and or I suppose uh, home inventory where uh, home inventory is just a macOS app, but under my roof is both uh, a macOS and iOS slash iPadOS app. So give them a look; they look amazing, and uh, I'm definitely going to try it out myself. Thanks, Spencer. So are you an indie developer? We want to hear from you. So our lists, we're slowly getting through it. And if you want to have your app featured on our Indie App Spotlight, please be sure to reach out to us on Twitter at CodeCompletion so we can spotlight your app too. So let's get right into the meat of it. So we just had the Apple Spring Loaded event uh, that happened this morning, and it was uh, packed with quite a lot. Like I thought going into it that it was going to be a uh, a rather light event, uh, considering uh, the the fact that it was pushed, and then um, I guess I just didn't expect much. Uh, but we we got blown out of the water, uh, especially with the brand new iMac. So Ben, can you tell us how much you still love your somewhat <laughs> brand new iMac, and if you're considering swapping it out? Uh, I was very comfortable going into this event uh, thinking that maybe they were going to release a new iMac and thinking, you know what? I bought my iMac in, ooh, I don't know, it was like August, September, somewhere around there last year. What, basically the last I'm, you know, the last Intel model, 27-inch, 5K, uh, and kind of loaded it up with everything that I'd want out of it. And then I actually uh, went to um, OWC and got uh, a Mac uh, RAM upgrade. So I'm running 64 gigs of RAM got a decent sized hard drive in it it's you know well specced otherwise uh, and i figured i'm going to use this computer for several years and it's going to be my my main machine and all set um and going into this event i i was feeling strong about that that you know they were like well they'll probably release an m m1 or m1x or whatever powered imac and that'll be fine right i have a macbook air that's an m1 machine that i love and so no no worries and then they brought out those colors and <laughs> And the and the new design and and I was and like the, mm. the the matching trackpad and stuff and I was just like ugh Apple you've done it again uh, so I don't think I'm now there was some fervor there in the middle uh, f- that that I might need to trade this in but um, but now that's kind of died down a little bit I think I'm gonna stick with my my regular computer that I have for for a while longer um, there I have d- t- very tiny concerns that for my main dev machine that having an Intel powered Mac might still be useful in some cases for certain uh, tools and libraries and stuff that I want to use. Um, but uh, yeah, I was, it was, it was funny, like going in, I felt really strong. And then, and then as soon as I saw that, that silly promo video, uh, I was kind of uh, 
it, surprised and impressed at how much it changed and how what they're offering and stuff. So uh, to kind of quickly break it down, uh, M1, Mac, uh, M1 chip, that's the, the main huge thing. Um, uh, so very much like the MacBook Pros and MacBook Air that, and Mac, Mac Mini that they released earlier. Um, and they've managed to squish the entire computer into the chin. If you look at uh, classic, uh, you know, the Mac that's been out for several years now, basically all the guts are behind the display and it makes the display kind of bow out behind the screen. Um, and in this new version, it's uniformly thick throughout the entire height of the display or the height of the, the screen. That's because the display's on top and then the very bottom portion, the sort of chin that sticks out, all of the computer, all is inside of that, that little chin. And it's because the, the M1 and all of its associated pieces are just way smaller and they can do less cooling and it's just overall going to be uh, a much more efficient um, design. So pretty cool. No more hard drives. It's all, uh, you know, SSD now. Um, and uh, MagSafe, interestingly enough, they brought MagSafe to a desktop, which... I don't think the, they the called power... it MagSafe, but no, it essentially is that. A magnetic I mean, power connector. I guess you connector. could still trip over that power connector now that the iMac is much That's lighter, true. right? That thing would right. fly across the room. Wait, yeah, I wait, suppose. Wait. I literally missed that. Like the, the two minutes where they introduced the charger and the Ethernet port, I totally missed it. What What is this about MagSafe not being... Or, yes. So it's not MagSafe, but it is, it is a magnetic... They didn't call it that. It, yeah, it's not called MagSafe, but it is nonetheless the, basically the part of the... How it works is you've got you know, a plug in the wall that goes to a little brick, kind of like you'd have with a laptop. And that brick actually has, interestingly, an integrated Ethernet port. So you can plug your Ethernet into that rather than plugging that into the back of the Mac, making nice. it you know cleaner, I suppose. Um, and then there's a braided cable that goes from that adapter to your actual, the back of your iMac. And it's color matched, interestingly. So if you pick a certain color iMac, you get the same color cable. Um, and then right in the very center, like it, like it does now, uh, you plug that cable into the back of your iMac. Um, but the difference is, is the way it's set up on mine, it's just like sort of a, a regular kind of plug and socket situation. Um, on this one, it's actually magnetic. So when you go to, I would assume, when, as you sort of bring it closer, it sort of grabs nice. onto the cable yep. and keeps it in there. Um, and then like Dimitri was saying, because the whole machine is much, I would assume, much lighter, um, and you also have this brick on the floor, uh, you know, there, I guess there could be a chance that you might trip right over the cable and I guess in theory it would probably just decouple rather than you know bring your iMac to the floor with you. Um, so that's an interesting development that they they brought that same basic tech, even if it's not called MagSafe, to uh, to the iMac. And then also uh, no USB A ports. So we are we are officially done with USB A ports on the iMac. So to quickly interrupt you with the with the brick. I think the main reason it became a brick is because they needed to put the power supply somewhere and it no yeah, longer true. fit right. in the computer. Um, right. So I guess they had they had the, the good fortune to say, hey, this could also be useful for that Ethernet port, which is also right. coming from the wall somewhere. Um, right. So it can come in one go. One interesting thing is that it looks like the brick itself also has that same magnetic connector coming into it. Like I don't, or is that the other end of the the magnet that goes, or the magnetic connector that goes to the computer, and it's just like a bidirectional cable? Um, yeah, that could. Be. I, I don't know if if either of you had a chance to take a look at that. It looks a little suspect. It doesn't look like Apple's bricks up until now. There's like a big hmm. a big connector that's exiting that. 
Yeah, I mean, it used to be that those bricks, right, they had on the side where the, the wire that comes out that goes to your computer was just permanently attached to that end. Um, and mm-hmm. then more recently, with uh, the, when they when we switched to mostly charging over USB C, um, then it became a USB C charger. Just became a USB USB C charger with a USB C port on it uh, for the sort of the skinny wire that goes to your computer. Um, so interesting, they're introducing perhaps a, a third design. I thought it was interesting. MKBHD noted on Twitter that uh, the the headphone jack is now on the side of the iMac rather mm-hmm. than the back, and the reason, in theory, is because literally a headphone jack the the actual guts of it would not fit it would be too too long for the yeah it'd be too long for the thickness of the device and so they had to put it on the side uh because i think he said that like a standard one's like 14 millimeters 14. or something yep and and the imac is only like yeah it's less than that so it would, it would actually have to stick out from the back of the <laughs> the imac or they could put it on on the end and then you have that extra we already have cameras sticking out. Just give me the the port. Um, you get a speaker. Fine. You get a headphone bump. <laughs> yeah, headphone bump. <laughs> Honestly, it makes more sense that it's on the side. I mean, it's a a thing you would yeah. want to access quickly. Heck, yep. wouldn't the USB C? Like, yeah, I would argue all make of them, a lot right? of sense on the side. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, also, on the topic of the chin, like there's another computer that Apple makes that is thinner than one centimeter that has all the guts behind a screen, and then it's also like a battery behind there. I don't know. That that seems like too too hard to actually pull off. Um, and leading into that uh, a little bit, the whole reason why iMacs and MacBook Pros and Airs had crappy front end cameras is because there is no room Ooh. for good camera guts. Like, that part of the display is so thin that there wouldn't be room to put a good sensor. And the iPhone, like, that sensor takes up the whole width or size of an iPhone uh, for that 4K sensor. This thing is one centimeter large. There's plenty of room for a good camera sensor. Apple, come on. <sighs> but But what for? But it's a 1080p camera now, and it has like a 12-step process to clean up the image so that it's yeah, spectacular the... and blah, 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 blah. And, I mean, okay, why did people want a 4K camera on their phones then? Because There must be totally a reason, different. right? No, no, that's totally different. Like, I would venture to say 90% of the communications when you're sitting on your, on, on your desk are video calls. Okay, Fernando, right? what camera are you using right now that you suddenly no. switched to? But but no, that's uh, yeah. I, I just switched to a pro camera, but that's because I want to 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 create content. That has nothing. I guess to do. I guess people I with Macs don't happy. like creating content, right? What? <laughs> like people who are buying a Mac, they don't want to create content, right? That that must like. Well, my no. point is that like ninety five percent of the people don't want to create content. They just want to FaceTime someone, or they want to be at their work's Zoom call, right? Like, I mean, I think I think honestly, to, to sort of split the difference between the two of you, I feel like there is definitely an argument to be made on a Fernando side, which is that yeah, most people just need you know Zoom video access, and they don't really care how they look. And let's be quite honest, most of these systems are going to compress the crap out of your video signal anyway. So mm-hmm. you know, right? Even if you had an amazing, I mean, I'm using a DSLR camera as well to to get better video. Um, but and and I have heard from my colleagues when we do video calls that I look better than I like the video looks better than it did when I was using a webcam. But at the end of the day, there it's still likely going to get pretty serious compression. On the other hand, 
it is the case that in general, Apple users like sort of higher quality things overall. And so it is a little bit interesting that Apple is choosing to, let's say, kind There's of no cheap out. There's no longer a technical limitation. Yeah. It's one centimeter thick. It's plenty of room. <laughs> How much does a sensor cost? And for that matter, they could use like a, what's that called? Like a periscope lens or whatever. I mean, they, they even have tech now that lets you. Like all sorts of crazy stuff. There's so much yeah. room in there now. Yeah. The, this is uh -huh. a product limitation, right? We, I think we can all agree on that. There not a technical one, right? No You're reason, saying, yeah. Yeah, there's no reason for them to not have like an iPhone 12 Pro camera on the iMac. Right. The, I mean, they put one on the iPad, right? What is the resolution of the front camera on the iPhones? I don't even know. 4K. It's, it's 4K? A, it's a 4K sensor, yeah. Okay. Ooh. The so, lens yeah, is then, a little dinky, no but that's about it. <laughs> Zero excuse at this point. <laughs> Because not only is it possible, but they literally make them. Like they are, yeah. they have a bin full of these cameras, right? That they're using to to outfit the iPhones with. And for some of that inventory to put it on the iMac. Mm -hmm. so, well, maybe that, that's actually my... that's an interesting point, right? Uh, do they, do you think they could get enough inventory for uh, like high quality lenses? Because they're already shipping like a billion devices if, per for quarter. the very high volume iMac compared to the iPhones. Yeah, I mean, how? What is that? What What do we think are the numbers on iMac sales? I mean, I bet they're good, but they're they're not going to be even not even close to iPads even close. and iPhones. No, yeah. I agree. I agree. Like laptops are way more, and that's right. That's just by nature of what people think of as a computer nowadays. So, like, I really don't see how how they convince themselves that it was not worth it. Um, right. it, it was like an opportunity to just like go all in and I, maybe they're saving it for bigger IMAX and we'll talk about those afterwards, but yeah, it, it just felt a little, a little silly that one, the camera is not all the way where it can be. And two, that the chin is there because like an iPad is thinner and has every, all the guts behind and sure, like maybe the fan needs a little more room, uh, but it looks a little silly, that chin <laughs> on that yeah. beautiful design uh, that's the, otherwise there. It's interesting that there was such a polarizing um, initial reaction to people like, oh, it's it's ugly. It's an ugly computer, which I don't think is, I don't personally think is the case. There was. Um, yeah. I mean, like people like MKBHD and None other people were, were, were saying, I think this iMac is ugly. And it's mostly because of the chin. Uh, oh, and they wow. were all just like, make the make the computer one inch thicker, and then put all the guts behind the screen. Like, why? Why not? Why not do that? And then make the screen edge to edge. Plus, people don't like the white border. Uh, so on the previous iMac, the one I'm sitting in front of, it has a it has a, uh, a a black border that is then covered in glass. So it's a sort of a shiny black uh, edge all the way around the screen. And then the chin on my iMac is just aluminum with an with an like a engraved Apple logo. Um, and so the Apple logo on the new iMac is gone. There is no Apple logo on the front anymore. And then the, the bezel is, it is skinnier than it is on my iMac. Um, but it, rather than being black, it is now white. And they actually called that out in the presentation and said, you know, they were sort of describing it in words and they said something, I'm going to get this wrong, but something to the effect of, uh, you know, it's a, uh, like it has sort of like a muted front. So the back of this, of the iMac comes in seven colors now. And very, very so vibrant, nice. Oh, nice. vibrant colors. 
Um, and then the front of the iMac, where the chin is, uh, and also the base, the metal base, are in the same sort of general color as the back, but they're like a desaturated, lighter, much more muted version, um, and then has that white bezel. And the, the woman who was, who was um, presenting the iMac, I think she was like a, the product, like a marketing manager for the iMac line, said something to the effect of, we've done this on purpose to, to not distract you uh, so that when you're using the computer, you can focus on the content, which I would kind of argue, I mean, I guess it probably wouldn't look that great because of all the crazy bright colors, but I would argue that if that's what you want, you'd use black. Like if you look at any, you know, professional, for example, like any professional photography uh, product or anything as far as software, they almost always have dark or black UIs so that you can, they can kind of fade out and you're, the thing that you're working on, for example, the photograph you're retouching or something can take front and center stage. So the idea that like we picked a white border to therefore make things blend in or, you know, to, for it to sort of to, to, to fade out of your sort of active attention and let you focus on your content seems a little strange considering that that doesn't, that doesn't seem to be how kind of uh, the, the professional world tends to go. But I understand that a black bezel with these bright colors would probably look weird. Uh, I would so say I'm it sure would pop it more. You'd have more contrast yeah. between the bright color, a dark bezel, and then the bright yeah. screen. And that's what might make it more obvious. Whereas if you have a bright screen and then a white bezel right. and then a color, the white is probably brighter than the color itself or right. at least in similar brightness so that it won't it won't be as as um contrasty uh than so with a black bezel that's did the, the colors do anything for of. you guys like did it did it uh did, nice. it ex did it excite you in a way that if they were just like gray or silver you wouldn't have so fernando which color are you gonna get uh i don't know but what what i do know is that i think we're we've been getting at this for like 20 plus years since the Pondy Max. Yeah. Right. In it's, fact, it's they, I saw, I saw parallels between somebody took the, like the video promo video of these and juxtaposed it against a promo video that were done on those original, like, like the Bondi blue iMac. Um, and they were even, not only were they, you know, semi-similar colors, but they even sort of displayed them in a similar way. Like you see the iMac kind of like rush yep, past yep the screen, the, the camera yeah, in, a in a line, in a circle, and they did the same thing with the with the old IMAX. That was that was cold. That I don't know if that was the conscious decision. It probably uh, was because this is Apple, <laughs> right? Um, but cool that they were kind of paying that homage to uh, to it. And I'm like I'm looking at the IMAX right now on the homepage, and they they keep showing it in in profile, and it's just it's just insane that that's there's a whole. Com I mean, I guess I shouldn't be impressed because like I have I, I I've had iPads that are that are just like that. But for a whole desktop computer, it just seems super impressive that they've crammed all of this uh, technology into such a sort of a thin... Quick reminder, uh, same cuts. Yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> so it literally is like a like a giant iPad, uh, you know. So I think now that you've said that, at what point is the chin what makes the iMac the iMac? Because if they yeah. get rid of it, isn't this just an iPad? A 24-inch well, iPad. I, I would say the touch input is probably the biggest differentiating factor between those two well, things. Well, of course, and the OS and the camera, like we've discussed. Well, no, I would say, <laughs> I would say the touch input would, would dictate what the OS would then be, if you have yeah. touch or if you don't have touch. So this not having touch means that it's going to be the quote-unquote Mac side of things, even if it looked like an iPad. 
I, I agree 100%. What I'm saying is that visually, from a form factor, there has to be... Where I, I, I think I'd leave the chin as a way to differentiate visually between... Like, it, the line is blurring, right? We can all agree on yeah. that. Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. I, thought, I thought before it wasn't, wasn't going to blur, but now it's very blurry. Like, it's the yeah. same processor, same architecture, uh, same quality of, of uh, screen. We're getting really, really close. And when we talk mm-hmm. about the I, the iPad in a minute, it's going to show that it's even blurrier than that, right? Like, yeah. Because yeah. of the fact the M1's coming to the iPad. So, yeah. So I think what you're asking is like what what sort of visual aesthetic, right, is characteristic of the iMac? And and I do think it's, you know, now that you say that, I think um, it is very true that uh, to me, I think it's it's just as likely that they could have done what MKBHD suggested, which is put the guts behind the screen and get rid of the bezel or get rid of the chin um, and go as bezel-less as possible and just make it a gigantic screen that is just a, a big screen on your desk and you can't even really tell that there's a computer in there anywhere, right? Because yep, it's, all, it's yep. all behind you. They could have done that. That is that is a choice they could have made. And yet they actively chose instead to to keep the chin and to put all the guts of the computer in the chin to make it nice and super thin um, which let's be honest, thinness of a, of a desktop computer to me, I don't think matters that much because I'm going to look at the broad side of the front of it all the time and very rarely ever sort of use it from the side or whatever. Like it's, that's not really going to happen. So the thinness is not critical to your daily use. Uh, but maybe it's, they, they made that choice in part because they felt like if we get rid of the chin, it's not an iMac anymore because the chin has become such a sort of iconic design uh, feature, aesthetic design feature of the iMac that they felt like it's going to lose some of its iMac identity if it loses the chin. And that's an, that's an interesting, um, an interesting point that I don't think I've, I've seen made on, on Twitter and online today. Bring it back. That... I'm going to tweet that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, I think it's interesting to, to think about it because it's, it's, we've come to a point and we've, we were already in the area, but we're at a point where, there are no longer tech limitations to a lot of things that there used to be. Right. Uh, yeah. So exploring that human aspect is way more important, and and the recognition of, of the of the product is way more important than uh, than the chin, right? The right. chin itself. Mm-hmm. So I don't right. know. It's I think it's interesting. Definitely could have yeah. could have been like thicker and no chin, had a better camera, but you could see the progression of the IMAX in the past thirty five mm-hmm. years, and it's this is still an IMAX. Yeah, yeah, right. So and also, uh, mm-hmm. like, this is not the only Apple device that's not an iPad that could look like an iPad from the front. I mean, Apple has the Pro Display XCR, and mm-hmm. that has thin bezels, black edges. It looks like an iPad if you stand far away and don't mm-hmm. have anything to compare its size to, um, at least from the front. And then from the back, it's much thicker, but through necessity from a heat perspective rather than anything else uh so one thing that i think we all kind of told like we mentioned this just moments ago and then we promptly forgot is the ports need enough room to actually plug actually plug in behind Mm -hmm. the display and everything um and that might not be something that was possible and it might be apple not wanting to have the ports on the side of the computer means that uh they could not put them like if they didn't want to put them there, then they have to go on behind. If they want to put them behind, it has to be in a part that does not have any um, any display there to have enough uh, length 
So that is one thing. Uh, and then I just realized as I'm saying this, they could put it under underneath the computer. Who'd have thunk? Like that'd be a that'd be an mm. excellent place for them as well. So uh, yeah. maybe they didn't think about that. Maybe they did. Maybe they're ho- holding it back for a future uh, revision. But uh, I can see the bottom of the computer being an excellent place to put tons of ports uh, right. because they're out of sight. They're easy to access. Like you can feel mm-hmm. them. I don't yeah. know about you, Ben. I hate reaching around the ports. Yeah, the, the back ports on the iMac are just, they're fine if you plug it in once and then never touch it again. But like if yeah. you ever want to use a port sort of ad hoc as you need it, it's there. It's a terrible play because you basically either have to sort of like awkwardly feel around for it uh, from your desk or more likely what I do is I just get up and I do, I can get to the back of my desk. My desk is not in, not up against a wall so I can get to the back mm-hmm. of it. I just get up and, and do it that way because it's like I, I'm going to spend five minutes fumbling or I can just get up and go around and yeah. do it and then I can see. But like the whole point, right, is that if I could see them or, you know, if I could tilt the, the, the if it's on the bottom, I could tilt the iMac sort of backwards, the top of it backwards and kind of look under and see it that would definitely oh, that'd be, be so cool. You just tilt it all the way and you can see all your ports, plug yeah. stuff in, tilt it back. Right. That'd right. be that'd right. be that would be rocking. really nice. Yeah. So free idea, Apple. You're free to take <laughs> take this idea. So um, what do we think of the matched peripherals, right? Like I I think I other them. than the than the iMac Pro. I want Pro, all the colors. <laughs> other than the iMac Pro, I think this might be the first time that they've like specifically matched the colors of the peripheral i mean the mac you know. pro has matched ones too with light oh, okay okay um and dark keys Got dark it. yep but because, but dar- color... because dark keys are pro right yeah. <laughs> yep um but yeah color i think can you get you can get all all seven co- seven colors for one thing and i think you can get all seven of the colors mice and the, trackpads mice and trackpads um, and and is it two, is it two keyboard? I know that they are offering the smaller keyboard, and then I also think I I think I heard them announce a keyboard that includes the, the numpad. Um, I, heard, I heard them say it. Three yeah, keyboards. I think, oh, yeah, wow. the, the three. I don't remember the second, but the first is the uh, Touch ID, and the smallest one. The right. second one is um, I don't remember, and the third one is the full uh, full keyboard, like uh, with, with the Touch keypad. ID. Yes, Touch ID. Well. I don't remember. I only remember it being the biggest, so it had the uh, the keypad. Oh, like it? Uh, I I if if they're they didn't seem like they're available right now, but if they were available, I would buy the colored keyboards and peripherals right away because I think that is so fun just to have some color. Um, and I have tons of keyboards for like every system that I have around the house. Um, and it would be nice just to have lots of different colors. Like, why not? Right. I'm looking, I'm trying to see on the site and I don't, it does, it does say color match accessories, complete, uh, your personalized choice. And then for the first time, magic keyboard comes with a touch ID to the, uh, brings touch ID to the Mac, but they don't specifically break down like the, they don't say what you get with the, with your order and you can't currently, like you can look at the sort of that first page for ordering to sort of like pick out your color basically and see the price. But the the button lets you kind of go into that second page when you order things on Apple's website to sort of do more customization. It's not that's not available yet because you can't you can't actually order mm-hmm. these yet. Um, so uh, we don't know like, yet. Yeah, we're still in the dark on on that. But um, so it sounds like at least two different keyboards. What do you what do you think the chances are that the that the new Magic Keyboard essentially has some kind of tiny like arm 
like Apple series chip on it to <laughs> run the secure enclave. For, to for, run. Yeah, just to run the Touch ID. <laughs> I, I think that's highly likely. I mean, yeah. which one did they put in the new HomePod Minis? Was that an A11? I want to say. Uh, sounds right, but I'm I'm not positive on that. So um, I, I do know th- I'm willing to bet it's going to be the same exact one. They the, are pumping those out anyways. Right. They're That's probably going to use the same exact chip uh, just to run the keyboard firmware. Um, and that that would be a self-contained system at that point. Because I do know that um, on the the um, MacBook Pros that have the... Why am I drawing a blank here on the name of the screen? The, the little touch bars? Touch bar. Uh, that it has a like a tiny... In addition to a all T2 of its chip. normal computer guts, it also it has... A separate chip that basically runs just the the, the screen and Touch ID and stuff, it's, and it's essentially a little self-contained computer. Mm-hmm. Um, so and your iMac has the same chip in it, and but it's not right. being used for right. Touch ID because there's no Touch ID. Um, so right. I think it's it's excellent that Touch ID is coming to peripherals. I mean, it was an obvious, but when kind of thing, right? Um, and like it's I, the one thing I miss on on my iMac. Like I hooked up my watch to be my uh, mm-hmm. touch id uh biometric thing and right. i mostly have it hooked up for all authentication prompts never mm-hmm. typing my password is so nice on terminal yeah. you can hook up sudo to use this instead um and currently I have to wait for my watch to tap me and then double click on the side there mm-hmm. uh but with the touch id thing you just kind of smack your finger on on yeah. the, the surface of that button and then it takes care of the rest it's nice on my on my on my Air, my uh, MacBook Air, and then I switch back to my iMac. I'm like, oh, it's, I don't have to turn it over here. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, Ben, but, I assume you're you're considering a red iMac if you were to replace the one. Yeah, I mean, have. I'm a big. My favorite color is red, so I have the I have the red. Uh, I have I, so unfortunately they've they've had probably like three or four generations of red iPhones, but they almost always come as like a mid cycle refresh rather than as like a launch color. And so I've always already had that model iPhone by the time those come out. But this time with the 12, they offered red at launch. Unfortunately, uh, the band is red is a nice, pretty red. And the back is this like weird salmony pink color, which, you know, I think pink is fine as a color, but like I wanted the really vibrant red. So I ended up actually putting it in the red leather Apple case just to sort of make it more red. Um, and then on this one, they actually don't even call it red. If you look at the colors, they technically call that color pink. And I think it's because the... The front is pink and the yeah, back the is foot, like deep red. Right. The foot and the chin are more of like a pink color. And then the back is what looks like a very nice... It's probably the same, I would guess, probably the same treatment they do to the aluminum on the sides of the iPhone. A very like vibrant, uh, bright red color. So that's probably what I would get. Um, unfortunately, the best part of it, as far as color, is uh, the part that I'm not going to see because it's on the back. But yeah, that's probably the. And color the peripherals are going to be the lighter color as well, right? I believe so. Yeah. So when you when you look at the if you scroll down on that page, the the example colors they give you are they give you the a, a green uh, keyboard and it's that sort of like light uh, pastel green, and then they they show you a a purple trackpad and mouse, and again, it's like that sort of lavender like light kind of color so i would assume that in all cases it's going to be the whatever's on the front is what you're going to see on the peripherals and actually so i'm looking at it looks like the cables are also wow the really so i'm just looking the cables at this match as well 
The pa- so the power cord is a braided cable, the, the part of it that plugs into the computer. It's it's color matched. It's also that same, the lighter color, whichever of the colors you pick. And then the actual connector itself has a bit of aluminum at the end, and it's matched with the metal of the back of the thing. Cool. But the um, they get, they're going to give you a lightning to USB-C cable so that you can, I would assume, charge the peripheral. peripherals. And its cord is also color matched. Nice. Well, I so guess they're... they did that with the re- with the IMAX and the Mac Pro recently. Okay. Like the the Mac Pro, the cord that you get was a braided one that matched the Pro Display XDR braided one. Oh, like it was okay. fancy it. in that way. Nice. Uh, so they've been doing a lot of uh, matching with all the little right. dinguses right. lately. Cool. So I have the opposite problem of as you, Ben. Uh, this time <laughs> they have two colors, two colors that they never have. Uh, they right. call them yellow and orange. I call them orange and orange. They right. are two <laughs> awesome colors of orange, and I want both right. of them. But I can't, I can't do anything with two separate iMacs, so that is right. tearing me apart. Um, but I love both of those colors. If they have iPhones that are either of those colors, I might get one of each next year just to have one as a test dummy device and the other as my main carry. Or I may switch them up on a daily basis because I love both of those colors. Thank you, Apple, for acknowledging colors exist. It is interesting that, like, now that they're doing more with the anodized aluminum, that, like, I feel like there's very little excuse now for them to not offer more of these kinds of colors on their on their laptops, on their, on their phones, on their iPads. Like, give us all the colors, Apple. We know you can make them because we see different colors on different products. Like, just bring all the colors to all the products. I mean, you, it's the same manufacturing process. It's, it reminds me of, like, uh, auto shows where you have the different mm-hmm. car manufacturers and sometimes they have a wall of all their different colors mm-hmm. but like every model car comes in like three right so they are capable at their factory of doing all these colors mm-hmm. uh but it's like impossible to get any one of them for yeah. the, the 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 vehicle that you want and i, well, it I feel like exclusivity dimitri like 2021 no, I, hate I want colors. right there's four <laughs> colors and next year it's going to be different colors so you better get the car now <laughs> oh gosh i hope yeah i, hope I agree it's stupid well, i guess apple is already down that line because every yeah. year they have different colors for phones and I, I can only imagine the normal person does not buy a phone every year uh so that might work <laughs> Yeah. And they just hope for that phone that comes. But imagine if it did come in that color every year, how much people would be less willing to hold back right. their wallet if they right. can get their favorite color every time. So, Fernando, which you haven't, you have, I don't think you've shared a preference yet. If you were going to get an iMac, which one would you get? Oh, I don't know. They're it's a lot all of amazing. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're all really, really cool. Um, the purple. Like the light purple mag, oh, I just love it. It would look great on my desk, I think. Um, I just I just double checked, and there's three keyboards: the okay. short, the short keyboard with Touch ID, short without and the, and the stupid, Touch ID, and the stupid arrow keys, right? Yeah, yeah. It's unfortunate that they keep doing that. I don't know why it doesn't even look good. They almost learned. Yeah, almost. they almost. And nobody <laughs> likes them. Like they're universally reviled, and yet they do that anyway. Apple gives an Apple takeaway. So. That's right. And then the so big the one, right? The, the one, one with does the... have Touch ID? Uh, I don't know. We cut you off when we didn't pay attention. Sorry. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, no, no. That's fine. I was, I was reading it again. So 
short standard with touch ID, standard without touch ID, and the extended with touch ID and the numeric keypad. Oh wow! And, okay, cool. Yeah. So and and I checked. Uh, apparently, the the touch ID keyboards work with any M1 Mac. Uh, oh. Yeah. So you can buy one for your for your M1 right now. Well, I mean, if they're on sale, eventually they'll come up on sale, I guess. Um, and uh, what else I was gonna say? Oh, they they work with Intel devices but just as bluetooth no touch id in that case okay not even the t2 devices yep yep interesting. Okay. And that's yeah that's interesting because the new imacs are exactly the same m1 chips that were in the macbook airs like if you go to the configuration screen you can get a seven core gpu model or the eight core gpu model uh and it's the same exact uh choice uh that the the macbook airs had so uh, don't kid yourself thinking that these are in some way more powerful machines or just machines with built-in uh, screens and better cameras than the laptops. Uh, that's right. basically the only uh, difference computationally yep. between them. Um, and that brings in a good point of what do we think the next... Uh, th- like, this is only the smaller iMac, right, uh, that right. we're looking at. Um, and it's kind of in between the current 24-inch and the 27-inch. Um, so that leads us to maybe suspect that the larger IMAX would be 6K IMAX to match uh, with the Pro Display XDR. So that way you don't have awkward sized screens next to each other with your Pro workflow. Um, and Marco Arment brought up an excellent point uh, that maybe the colors for uh, the bigger IMAX would be colors for a so-called IMAX Pro, which would match the iPhone colors, aka you don't get any colors. Um which I guess would be a bit unfortunate. Uh, so we only have a smaller iMac right now, uh, and that's probably why none of us are kind of jumping on it quite yet, despite uh, the love of the new design language that it's kind of using. Um, so in terms of an iMac Pro, we probably expect to see a 6K display. We probably expect to see more ports. Um, how they're going to fit different kinds of ports on the back is going to be interesting. Maybe they don't fit them on the back. Maybe they go underneath, uh, like we discussed, and maybe that's what they're waiting for. Um, it might have a mini LED display, just like uh, the iPad Pro that was just announced and the Pro Display XDR to better match that. Um, what else do you think they're holding back on us? Maybe it will get a black bezel. Maybe that's another way for them. Yeah, maybe they'll maybe. go with a darker... Maybe maybe they'll do like... like um, space gray and then maybe they'll do like pacific blue or something like a a much darker color a more muted darker color and then they'll do black bezels uh to you know because as we know the dark color palette means pro (laughs) um so maybe that'll be another another way and and it it could be i mean it's kind of silly but it could be it it creates a an easy way for you to sort of just glance at a computer and be able to tell the difference between a non-pro and a pro level machine um, based on its, you know, the, cho- the the color choices that they make. So I can't imagine other than like an M. The other thing is we haven't gotten any what we would all consider a sort of pro, even though a pro level Max, even though, you know, the iMac or the, the MacBook Air now smokes most, <laughs> most preceding Macs. Um, and it's not even considered to be, you know, like the, the powerhouse. Uh, but we haven't actually seen any, what we would all consider pro level M1 era chips. So uh, I guess maybe that's part of the issue about speculating about 
a potential iMac Pro is that we haven't really seen anything from them in this M1 era that is pro level. Uh, so maybe there's even things about this new model that we can't even guess at because we just don't understand yet the sort of the 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 offering, right? Like what they're going to, because if we had like a 16 inch MacBook Pro running some kind of M1X or M2 or something, we probably could have like, well, we can extrapolate from that to, to create a, a, an iMac Pro that would be somewhat similar, but we haven't gotten that yet. So maybe that's part of our problem is we just don't really know where Apple's headed. Yeah, I said this before, but I certainly expected uh, during this event for Apple to have uh, an M1S uh, for mm-hmm. a faster M1, uh, and then the the Pro machines would be uh, something with an M1X for extendable. Um, and uh, I thought that that was going. This was the opportunity during this event for us to have that. Um, and WWDC isn't really that opportunity anymore because that is already in the M2 uh, model era. Uh, if if you will, so uh, we might never even see an M1s or an M1x um, in a Mac. We might just jump directly to the M2, and that's going to be the more uh, capable machine. Uh, the right. only difference between the M1 and my iMac Pro, for instance, uh, is support for more enterprisey uh, hardware configurations, namely ECC RAM, which you would need in certain contexts, like in the server where you want your machine running 24-7, 365 days a year, and you don't want it to ever have any issues. Um, and the M1 just has normal memory uh, for all intents and purposes, uh, and that's susceptible to certain errors over time, uh, especially if the thing is on for a very, very long time. Uh, so it will be interesting to see what the M2 brings to the table aside from performance, um, because it's a... Like Apple has already beat everything out with performance, which is why they're so comfortable just sticking the plain M1 in everything uh, because it it smokes the competition. So right. uh, it'll be interesting seeing uh, where WWDC, which is right around the corner, honestly, uh, takes yeah. uh, the M series chips. Uh, and I don't think we're going to see an M1X uh, or anything like that. We're just going to jump straight into an M2. And we might see an M2, an M2S, and an M2X to kind of differentiate different levels of speed uh, between these different machines because I would assume Apple would want their uh, Mac Pro to be faster than a MacBook Air, right? They don't want it to just be all at the same baseline. Um, So that will be, it'll be interesting to see where they take that. So moving on to a different type of product, uh, we have uh, finally AirTags. (laughs) Right. It's funny that we can say finally, despite the fact that Apple never made any any serious hints about this even being a real product, and yet we all just sort of caught very vague rumors about it and just let it snowball into this, you know, when are they finally going to release this thing? Like, come on, Apple, it's been years. And it's like, well, I mean, they didn't actually say they were even working on it, really. So They uh, did release a support video that had it in there. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's uh, the worst kept secret. Um, and right. to be clear, it's definitely because of antitrust concerns and wanting to get the third party uh, thing out there. Um, and I find it fully ironic that despite Tile starting this whole thing, they were not part of that because they had the biggest mouth and uh, they they uh, they blew their connection there um, when they could have had a very good um, a very good uh, business proposal to have on the table for the third-party uh, ultra-wideband chips. 
um, and little dongles to put on things. Uh, but that said, AirTags are a thing. Um, just this morning, Samsung said that their version of the Smart Tile Plus uh, would have the privacy-conscious things that uh, came out in Apple patents uh, months earlier. Uh, so despite us knowing about <laughs> all the things and how AirTags work, uh, it took Samsung a while, but they got in just in time before everyone promptly <laughs> forgets that the SmartTile Plus is a thing. Uh, so good on them. Um, I also want to say I loved that couch short where the guy just yeah. dove into and got sucked into his couch uh, and uh, was reaching around for his keys. That was uh, also excellent. Uh, but there's not much more to say about them, right? Yeah, I mean, I hope they work. I hope they work as well as they claim that they work uh, in the video. Um, and interesting that they that they seem to be. I would describe them as like a large M M&M, and M, meaning that they are basically you know they're disc shaped, but they have like a Featureless. fat middle, right? Mm-hmm. So they're rather than being flat, uh, they are they are sort of bulbous on the top and the bottom, That's slightly. Where the chip is. Uh, that's where the yeah, and also where the the they they do have replaceable the CR twenty thirty two consumer you know available battery that you can actually like twist it open, pull it out, replace the battery in it, and and use it again. They Apple claims that they'll work for around a year, and then you'll be able to replace the battery in them um, that you can just buy at the you know, grocery store or something. Uh, but interesting that they that they don't have a version that is flat because I feel like that does seem like a sort of a missed opportunity to you know insert it into your wallet or in in, in a place where you might want to have a very slim very flat maybe it could be perhaps wide right like like uh, you know like a like a credit card sort of you know it's got a lot of, it's 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 got a lot of surface area but it's very very thin and very flat i'm i'm surprised that they only seem to have one form factor of this of this product I, I agree. One one question they had is, do you guys know the the range of it? Because, yeah, I'll leave it at that. On on the video when they were demoing it, the the little so what when you open Find My now and you have these things, if you have a uh, an iPhone that supports the the is it U one I think is the name of the chip, um, you get uh, not you get sort of directionality and proximity when you're sort of tracking down your thing. Um, and the, the video that I saw, I saw the screen was showing like 18 feet, uh, and then 17 feet and then 16 feet as you kind of got closer. So it seems like, uh, probably, I mean, that's what, like, like six meters. So I would guess maybe it must be like 10 meters at least. I mean, to remember it also has Bluetooth, so it uses the Bluetooth first to kind of find where it is. And then as you get closer then the the ultra wideband kicks in from what i'm okay. reading i think we can go even further so the ultra wideband apparently is only available on the newer iphones like iphone 11 and and higher right right and then you have the bluetooth just like dimitri said but then i'm reading the the page and and it says here um i lost it yeah right here so it says your attack sends out a secure bluetooth signal that can be detected by nearby devices in the find my network these devices send the location of your AirTag to iCloud. Then you can go to the Find My App and see it on a map. Yeah, so yes. as we discussed this last last week as well, but uh, basically it will work at any distance so long as an iOS device kind of gets within close enough contact to it to ping it back to you. Any device, 
right? Yes. Not your devices. Yes, yes. Any, any device. Any device. Yeah. Interesting. That's, that's, that's really the whole. Cool. That's the whole idea. And that's how Tile works, too. Um, so if you lose a Tile, okay. anyone with a Tile app uh, will ping you to tell you they found your Tile, basically, in an automated way. Nice. And that's what started the whole antitrust thing with uh, Tile saying, hey, we can't do the same thing that the Find My Network does because we're not making the devices um and that's why they they because you have to have the tile app locking them out open right like in order to get yeah. what you just described that the tile app apps has to be in the foreground because you can't background that kind of that kind well, of process you, you can but apple has added location prompts that say this thing has been right. snooping on your location 24 7 <laughs> do you want to do something yeah. about that uh, right. and that's what got them in a hissy fit basically right so, it's really yeah. cool. Um, I saw someone on Twitter saying that you like they were thinking about putting one on their dog's like yeah. collar. That's my yeah. plan. That's both brilliant. my cats are going to get one on their collar somehow <laughs> yeah. because yeah. I'd be mortified if if they got lost. Are you going to buy the four hundred and fifty dollar Hermes leather strap version of, of the AirTag? Of course, only the best. On cat? <laughs> only only the best for my fluff fluff. <laughs> <laughs> It was funny um, that people like tech. A bunch of tech nerds had like a whole little meltdown on Twitter about how expensive those are, those leather straps are from Hermes. But it's like you know, people are going to buy them. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I I grant you that. But then some other people were showing like somebody said, "Yeah, this is ridiculous that you're spending that much money on you know on the leather tag and then the twenty nine dollars on the actual technology itself." But if you go to Hermes's website and you just type in like luggage tag, apparently you can spend thousands of dollars. On a luggage tag with Hermes, so so this is a steal by comparison because this is actually that's just a flap of leather with a piece of paper in it. This actually has like tech in it that will help you find your stuff. But it's made of human leather from uh, from children in in some uh, some poor country that they they <laughs> got it while they were still alive. That's that's the only way that the thing can be so expensive. Only the best for certain people, only... right? <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> No, to be clear, to be fair, I do not support of, making leather of cows. Of cow leather, it's not. Yeah, uh, but it, that's the thing about the luxury sort of fashion sort of market is like the price doesn't necessarily have any correlation to no, the actual the thing, right? Yeah, and quite honestly, I feel like like especially because it's a kind of thing that you're you know you're going to buy it and you're going to clip it to your bag or your luggage or something. Honestly, it kind of almost ends up being like a status symbol that, that I have an Hermes sort of crafted leather tag that 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 holds onto my air tag on and a I'm much more expensive it. Hermes bag mostly. yeah I, right I'm going to display it on my expensive you know other things and it just adds to sort of the allure of of look how look at what look how much money I've spent on these things and and some, mm-hmm. for some people that is uh that is important right as a status thing humans yeah. are funny yeah watch people steal the bag but leave the tag <laughs> Because, because the tag can track them. Because the tag uh, the can track them, yeah. <laughs> That's a question. How how easy or how hard do you think it is to get the tag in and out? Well, it's 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 made into the Hermes ones. Oh, it's, like it's made into kinda, the Hermes. Oh. I think so, yeah. It's like the one other ones with, I think you can like... That makes sense. Pop them in and out. Like the one the regular ones that Apple's going to sell, you're going to be able to kind of like... I don't know. I'll never out, buy one to find out. So, so then you're not only getting luxury, you're getting security. Because it's yes. embedded. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Perfect. Security, nothing else can grant you. Speaking <laughs> of which, though, I do think it's cool that they've, that they've done everything they can to sort of make it, you know, while they've essentially created a, a tiny 
trackable thing, right? That isn't just trackable by you, but sort of trackable by everyone. It could yep. become a surveillance nightmare. So I think it's cool that they that they've built in, um, you know, anonymity and stuff into that. So that you know, yes, anyone is going to be able to hit that tag as they walk by, and it, the tag will ping the phone. The phone will say, "Oh, I just saw an air tag." which just has a number. It doesn't, it's not attached to an individual person. It's just an anonymous number that is just anonymously reported to Apple. And then Apple makes the correlation to the, who owns it. And encrypted in a way that Apple doesn't even see the location. Right. Right. So those GPS locations, those are encrypted with the key of the air tag itself. So it's really the air tags coordinates, not even the device that it pinged or noticed it. And then what's also cool is that you, you might think, well, uh, somebody could, someone could sort of surreptitiously get this thing on my person, right? They could somehow like slip it into my coat pocket or they could put it in my bag or something and then they could track me, right? Um, and Apple has even done uh, some work there where I think you do have to have um, an iOS device, the person that you know this is happening to. Not necessarily. To. So no? if you have an iOS device, it'll tell you, but if you don't, okay. it will notice that and it'll beep. Okay. So it's either way. So if you go in to find my, it'll say like you have an unknown tracker like in your proximity. And mm-hmm. if you don't have an iOS device handy, it will actually emit a sound, um, which is also nice because that also works for when you're finding it. Like in that video, uh, as you get closer to it, you can even in the Find My app ask the AirTag to, to beep at you to sort of, you know, if it's buried in a couch cushion or something to help you track down whatever it is that you've, you've lost. Mm-hmm. I don't want them anymore. No, no, they're over it now. Obnoxious. <laughs> Honestly, they should come in colors. Apple, I mean, get on this. <laughs> yeah, right. Um. So, on the topic of other things that don't come in colors, uh, we have new <laughs> iPad Pros, uh, which are essentially Macs now because they got M1 chips. Yeah. I mean, it's it's thanks to Tim Cruise for going right. in and and stealing the chip from one machine and putting it on another. Um, but the iPad Pros now have an M1 chip, which means that they have Thunderbolt. Uh, it means that they also have 5G, which I guess is still cool. separate from the M1 chip. Um, 5G, 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 5G. Um, I don't know if anyone's seen that video, but it uh, was a super. Oh, the one where they clipped the out times. all the mentions of 5G from that keynote. Yeah, and yeah, it's just it like, 5G, 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 5G. Yeah, it was like voice. 63 5G, times 5G, 5G. or something. Yeah, I have to say I have I have an iPhone 12 that has support for for a 5G. I'm on Verizon, which which I believe Verizon has the most extensive 5G network so far of the of the American carriers. Um, and I actually turned 5G off on my phone um, because for one, where I live in Central Florida, they don't have great 5G coverage yet. Um, well. They claim that they have nationwide 5G, but all that really means is that they just rebranded their 4G coverage as 5G coverage because, you know, why not? Um, but the the millimeter wave 5G that everyone is excited about, they don't really have in such a 40 yet. Um, and all I found was that it would occasionally switch over to what it claimed that was 5G. And then my my speeds were either not any better or sometimes even worse. And so I was like, I'd just turn this off. I, this, is, this is a pointless marketing push. I'm actually kind of upset that Apple bought into the whole hype of it and spent gave that Verizon executive so much time at the keynote from before to to talk about it because let's be honest it is it is at this point I feel like at least in the United States still somewhat of a pipe dream uh as far as like 
being able to experience that kind of performance just sort of in a regular everyday setting. Like it's most people don't have access to it yet. So why are we talking about it? Anyway, I'll get off my, I'll get off my weird anti soapbox about 5G, but I just. Not to mention if you have two SIMs in your phone, like one, the eSIM and one, the main SIM, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. 5G just does not work. Oh, it's, great. It's not something that you can even use. I think they're fixing that in uh, 14.5. Uh, and that's the one that's enabling it. But I have not once had a chance to use 5g because my phone has two sims one for personal one for work classy yep um other new things that are coming we have two terabytes of space uh and it's a shame spencer was not here because uh he would have uh, tons of fun using that space since he edits our podcast sometimes on his ipad um and having tons of room to kind of work on video uh is going to be something really cool especially now that there's thunderbolt you can offload that video uh quickly uh, there's nothing more aggravating than filming a bunch of stuff with your phone and then waiting and waiting and waiting to kind of get that off your phone over USB 2 speeds. Uh, right. So I hope I hope uh, the phones get Thunderbolt one day too, uh, but having it in the iPads is definitely welcome. And as a final uh, two things, uh, the front camera got a new thing called Central Sta- Center Stage, uh, which basically it uses a ultra-wide camera and it will then zoom in automatically on you. And then as you move around, it will use its existing field of view to just kind of track you. Um, so since it sees everything all the time, it can zoom in on you. And then as you walk, it can pan, digitally pan, that is, and keep you on in front of the camera. And what a great use of a 4K camera uh, with plenty <laughs> of resolution uh, that can see everything. I don't... <laughs> Like, I wonder where other things could use this, but mm, alas. Um, So that's the center stage thing. And then the display itself uh, is on the 12.9 inch one, now called a liquid retina XDR display. Uh, And they're using a zigzaggy pattern of mini LEDs uh, on the back of the display to individually light uh, different portions of the screen. And it seems that they were claiming uh, 1,000 nits of like whole mm. screen peak and then 1,600 of uh, localized peak brightness, which is right up there with the Pro Display XDR, just on a smaller scale. Um, so it seems that they uh, may have uh, outdated their existing tech by making <laughs> it way smaller and thinner. Yeah, it's interesting to think that you can basically bring like a smaller Pro Display XDR around with you in your in your bag uh in the form of this new ipad so either of you aiming to get a new ipad well i was in the market for a new mini and i was really excited uh there was some late breaking rumors from certain analysts which you know they're not to be believed necessarily but uh that 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 they had reason to believe that they might be refreshing the mini i don't believe the ipad mini has been refreshed in quite a while it's the current one that you can buy is uh it has a touch id it does support apple pencil um and it runs the a12 um, so it has an a12 chip in it which is you know yeah. it's not bad um but it certainly is not edge to edge screen it doesn't have face id it, it or touch id in the the power button um it has the first gen pencil support so uh you know just in general an older device an older design um but uh Alas, didn't happen. So the options are at this point, uh, you know, either this new iPad Pro or perhaps an iPad Air. Um, 
I may end up just buying the new Mini. I have a fourth-gen Mini, and it's getting pretty sad. Like, it can't really run more than one app. It sort of... Even, like, if you run an app, close it, open a different app, it seems to struggle even with that. Um, so uh, I may just upgrade to the to the latest Mini uh, because it's way cheaper than buying a full-blown iPad. And all I'm really going to use it for is watching videos in the evening. Um, so it seems... Way overkill to buy an M1 powered iPad Pro to then just watch videos in the evening. So uh, that's probably what I'll do. Um, but uh, I, I at least wanted to hold out just to see if they were going to maybe rev the mini, and they they didn't. Fernando, no, I'm not getting an iPad. <laughs> I, I have. Do you no have an interest. iPad? No, I don't. I have no interest in getting an iPad. Um, I'm really way more interested in trying to understand what's going on with the uh, with the chips. Like, are we on a single chip right now per- permanently? Like, are we moving straight into the M chips? Mm. Or are we... Like, I, I think Dimitri got me thinking when he said we're by WWDC, we're, we'd be at like the M2 uh, stage of chips. But then what about the A... What is it? 15? Like yeah, it yeah. is up there in version number, so why not, right? No, no, no. But what I mean is, 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 is it the same thing? Are they like, are we all M chips? Is the A fourteen the last, the last A chip? Ch- chip, yeah. yeah. I think it's interesting because I don't see why. Like, yeah. Let Let me try and phrase this right because what is the benefit of having like the iPad was already in an ARM architecture. Why bring mm-hmm. the M1? Is this a marketing thing? Thunderbolt. Was the, is it just Thunderbolt? Like where? Yeah, because the A14 doesn't have Thunderbolt bits, but the the a- M1 does. So then that's that's the thing, right? So then, is the M1 the successor of the A line? Like, is the M line? Yeah, right? or is the, the now M- that you bring it up, it may it may quite end up being that. Like, we might see the next iPhone is not an A15. It might just be the M2 and they might not even with USB-C and Thunderbolt. It might be. Yeah. Um, so if it keeps lightning, it might end up being the double ended lightning, uh, that at least gets USB three and USB-C four like speeds. Mm -hmm. Um, so that could definitely be a thing just with a different plug. I mean, also that means we could, we could see an iPhone with either eight or 16 gigs of Ram because the iPad pro, uh, that's what you're going to get, which is a huge. I think the the best you could do until now was six. Did they I don't, say it was configurable? Uh, it everyone online is saying, everyone online is saying eight or sixteen. Yep, eight uh, or sixteen. I don't know how they they found out, but I'm guessing then, one of those slides that has all the info. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, wait. Now that you say that, that there's an interesting question. So, if we are still on the M and A lines. What are like they they are going to show us sometime hopefully this year the M new M chips right be it mm-hmm. M- yeah, say WWDC or M two right we mm-hmm. don't know which but then will the if the iPad is already on the M chips will the iPhone go to a fifteen is that going to be faster than the M one slower and, no, so and I would they... say I would say during WWDC we get an M two chip we get new Macs to really show that off meaning a Mac Pro, something super powerful, MacBook uh, Pro 16-inch. Um, and then when the iPhone comes out, they just say it also runs on an M2 chip. And it's done. 
Like that's all they really have to say at that point. Wait, wait, can, or can you say that again? Do so WWDC, we get an M2 mm-hmm. chip. We get new MacBook Pro 16 inch. We get a new Mac Pro uh, that's really specialized. It has specialized hardware capability that the M2 really delivers on. And then at that point, the Mac is no longer the baby like brother of the iPhone in terms of performance. It's now the bigger brother. So when the iPhone comes out, if they then go ahead and say the iPhone now runs an M2, that is more amazing than saying a Mac now runs an A14. Does that make sense? But then, but then what's the point of being pro, right? Like how come the, the iPhone yeah. gets like the pro chips? So I think it's a really interesting conundrum here because if the iPhone is... Well, it might not get the M2S. It might just get the M2. So there's the M2, the M2S, and the M2X kind of thing. If they I do think, that, I, I think mean, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, but but it's, we're gonna it's, have it, to. Uh, re- regardless of, of the chip names, it's interesting to think like before they existed in separate realms, where mm-hmm. we it was sort of unofficial, where, where you'd run the Geekbench and you'd be like, "Oh, my iPhone is way faster than my Mac," and whatever, and the iPad is. But so they weren't. Cool. A, but they weren't apples to apples, right? They were. You were not comparing them. Correct. Directly. They were apples yeah. to Intel's. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> but nice one. but now that everyone is on the arm wagon like what's the deal like is my iphone as quick as my mac pro how come like why am i paying four thousand dollars for this right it's obvious like the answer is obvious but it's still i think apple yeah. lives off of appearances and so i think it's like i don't, I don't know it's it's something that i hadn't thought about it until right now I would propose another another alternative to what Dimitri said, which is that uh, the M2 likely will be at least announced, if not you know launched in some f- in some form at DubDub, um, and then the I'm looking now at the bottom of the of the uh, buy an iPad Pro page on Apple's website, and they mm-hmm. they have a little compare all the iPad models, and so they show you all the iPads they currently sell. So they which they don't technically sell the new Pro quite yet, but they're you know almost about to. So the iPad Pro, starting at seven ninety nine, lists out the lists out the features. Apple M one chip, right? It's very prominently displayed. The next one over, the iPad Air, starts at five ninety nine, so a little cheaper, a little smaller A14, screen. Right? Runs the A fourteen Bionic. The iPad, which they just call the iPad, it's basically the ten point two inch size. It's got Touch ID. It has the chin and the forehead. It's sort of the old design of the iPad. Um, uh, starts at three twenty nine. A12 Bionic, and then the iPad Mini looks just like it. It's just smaller. Um, also runs the A12. So my 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 proposal is that they are they are going to create a pro versus non-pro delineation. Yeah, and they're going to use M oh, versus A to do that. So the iPad, the the lesser iPads, right? The Air, the regular, and the Mini, and whatever, however that evolves, right, are going to stay on the A series chips, and 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 potentially, here's an even another even crazier thought: is that the iPhone, assuming they continue this this general design, the iPhone 13, like I have the 12, right? The iPhone 13, A15. The iPhone 13 Pro, mm-hmm. perhaps the, yes. the M2. No, don't say it. Obviously, also, then I won't Dimitri, be able to get I, the smaller one anymore. No, I also well, no, I also saw reports that the the mini sales on the iPhone are terrible, and they're going to they're going to nix it in the oh, fall. No more no, iPhone mini. Not allowed. <laughs> so stop it. Not, <laughs> so it's a double whammy. Not not only are you going to get dif- differentiation that is going to make you agonize over which size, but they're not even going to sell the mini. No, but I, I think there's a decent that chance that they might. Sense. 
they might do that, right? They yeah. might they because what were they doing with the um, the Macs before when we were in an Intel world, right? They used sort of like the regular Intel chips for most of their their computers, and then for the iMac Pro, for the Mac Pro, they were offering basically server class, uh, more powerful, arguably more powerful chips with better RAM and stuff uh, to to help differentiate. And and like you said, Fernando, if if they don't if they just go all M, right, everywhere, then it's a much harder... It, it is like a weird thing to think my $5,000 Mac Pro is running essentially the same guts as my yep. iPhone, yep. right? You got to create... I mean, th- th- so this is like a, a classic example of of like your, your, the little brother kind of like getting stronger and starting to sort of like lean in on bigger brother's turf. And uh, a company that has had to deal with this is Porsche, um, they for you know forever for fifty years they've been selling the nine eleven their iconic sports car and in the I think late nineties when they brought out the I think it was late nineties they brought out the Boxster a smaller cheaper oh. less powerful arguably sort of uh, just worse mm-hmm. version of the nine eleven as a convertible but they 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 were able to capture a whole new sort of segment of the market that couldn't afford a full blown nine eleven and the problem is they don't want to sort of they want to produce excellent sports cars, right? So they just kept making the Boxster and then later this thing called the Cayman, which was a coupe version of that convertible, uh, better and better and better and better. So they got got better engines, better better handling, better this, better that, better better interiors, um, and also crept, in, crept up in price. Um, and then they ended up in a scenario where they actually were like, oh no, the, the, these cars are now starting to be real competition for the 911, and and I I don't know if this is actually true, but the but the this the scary scary thought was, what if people who could otherwise afford a 911 are don't just buying a buy, Boxster yeah. because they're like, why bother buying a 911? I don't I don't need that. I can I can get 95 percent of the functionality and the performance out of a car that's we're talking tens of thousands of dollars cheaper. Um, and so I think that kind of market segmentation. Uh, and differentiation is something that companies like, you know, certainly of Apple scale need to worry about is that you don't necessarily want to just put the best thing in everything because then like, you know, like you said, what, what, what difference is there? Why don't I just run everything off my phone? Obviously there are other reasons why that would be practical, but, but, but it's a concern, right? It's a, it's a psychology thing. At this point, at this point, then, like my crazy prediction, which may not make sense, <laughs> is that we don't see any pro machines until September, and mm-hmm. then we we see the new pro iPhones and the new pro Macs in one event, and then that sets up so that you can have a consumer event like the one we mm-hmm. just had right now in April, mm-hmm. and when you where you go. Here's the iPad, here's the Mac Mini, here's the um, MacBooks. And then mm-hmm. on September, you have... Oh, and you include the iPhone there on the, on the April event. And mm-hmm. then you, you have the Pro features, the Pro iPhone, the Pro iPad, and the Pro Macs on mm-hmm. the September event. That would be interesting. At and would make time. all the Apple devs really upset because they're, everyone is banking on DubDub being like, well, we didn't get it this time, but DubDub is going to fix all of these problems and we're going to get everything we want. I, I agree. And, and the I, one thing... Oh, go, 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 me. And I, I would argue that DubDub is the chance to show off the pro stuff because this is Apple's opportunity to say, look at our pro machines, how much 
faster they are than this dinky little thing with a battery that you can put in your pocket. Like they need to blow that out of the park as this is what we can do when you're constantly plugged into the wall and you have a big power supply and you can make use of all of that energy. And the the event that people would look at in terms of pros, I mean, the M1 is more than fast enough for everyone, including pros. So just like you said, Ben, if we're going to have a machine that like blows even that out of the park, who is going to really want it? Like most people can get by just fine on an M1. So the only people that are going to really want it are going to be the ones that are either really pushing things, at which point it's not the same thing as an iPhone event. Like right. that, it's just a completely different market at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not even super fans. It's people who legitimately need the power that does not exist anywhere else. Um, and a big well, segment of that and population rich super fans. is. Let's be, let's be clear. Some people just buy <laughs> buy the big one well, yeah. just to buy the big one. <laughs> Definitely, uh, but uh, I think WWDC is an excellent opportunity uh, to kind of had that kind of hardware that is less interesting towards the general populace. Um, when the iPhone event is something that everyone will kind of uh, be more interested in, and they're just going to laugh at the right. the more expensive computers, like, oh, why are you getting a six thousand computer when you can get a thousand two hundred and it's just as fast because they all they use it is for Zoom or yeah, heck, even if all they use it is doing Final Cut Pro videos uh, for YouTube, the M1 is fast enough for that right. kind of context. And I, I would have argued against you in the past, and I still might be arguing against you a little bit, uh, that WWDC is not the appropriate venue for that because it's supposed to be a developer conference That's where they announce new software. Yep. However, I was reminded by somebody, either on a podcast or in, on Twitter, that I believe this is right, that the Mac Pro and also the iMac Pro were both launched. They, I don't think and they were just like, yeah. okay, we're not made of it immediately for sale, but they were both, they were all launched at WWDC in recent years. And so yeah. perhaps this, like, it's a dev event, it's mostly software, Apple doesn't announce hardware, dub dub. That sort of thinking is perhaps old Apple thinking, and, and more recently they've been more willing to do things like that. So so uh, I, think I'm, I think I'm mostly in your camp, Dimitri, with, like, maybe a sprinkle of, of like, just sort of pessimistic doubt. That they're <laughs> they're going to do what Fernando said, which is that they're like, no, no, we announced hardware like that in the fall. We're not doing it at WWC, right? We're, it's software. So. I think mm-hmm. the point is, if I would need to go further back, but if the only two, um, if, the, if the latest two examples of hardware at WWDC have been the iMac Pro and the Mac Pro, and, and the, the previous Pro, Mac Pro. Both Mac Pros? But, well, the previous yeah, the, the one was trash like, can. what, we 10 can't, years ago? We don't innovate my ass that whole event. That was the original Mac Pro, and they had uh, and one that was hell of a sound system. Yeah, and I was in the room, and that was more intense than anything, seeing that little cylinder rise up, uh, because the, the seats were shaking uh, from the, the sound and the bass, res- bass response that they had going through all of that. So... All all the big development machines were kind of shown at WWDC, including laptops in the past. The Retina MacBook Pro, the first one, that one was at DubDub. Right. Like, no, no, no. A so, lot so of a lot I of think, these I devices think... are all DubDub devices. Absolutely, I agree. Uh, the point that I was going to make is that I think at least that in the late the the latest uh, devices shown to be Pro devices, the iMac Pro. The iMac Pro was just Apple playing catch up. Like yeah. they were trying to buy a little bit of 
patience out of developers. Like, here's a, a goodie for I you. I think they to were serious. On. I don't think it was catch up. I think that was their legitimate proposition. Uh, no, that no, no. They... Yeah. Agreed. May, may Agreed. have freaked out about. <laughs> Absolutely, I agree. It's just something that they didn't need to to do something fancy or new. They just threw the best they had uh, at an iMac and then called it iMac Pro. Yeah. Right. And then you had the the next Pro, which uh, I don't even remember what it is. Oh, the 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 return to the old form factor. Yeah, the new Mac. Right. That's and interesting. Pro and the Pro Display XDR and, was also announced. And that was the last right, WWDC so. uh, that right. was in person. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, I agree. I don't know. On, I, think, uh, I think I agree with you that there's a, a real possibility that they show hardware at this WWDC. Uh, those three, though, they do seem to be like dramatic changes in form factor um, that differ from everything else. So that's what I would say. I would say if the new Pros are radically different than what we have, then I could see them at, at WWDC. If not, my bet would be on September. I think that's, I think that's a fair bet. I think that's yeah. a, a reasonable progression. How much do we and, want to bet? And it, and it is Apple's <laughs> opportunity to really show that their Macs are faster than their phones. Like the, yeah. You know they have been crying inside every time they showed off a phone that was faster than all their Macs oh. or the majority of their Macs. Um, yeah. And that that has had to be painful over the past several years because it's it's not just the most recent ones. It's for quite a while now. Um, so I think there's a good opportunity for Apple to be proud that their phone is not, not that fast. Um, it's faster than every other phone out there and every other device that just runs on battery. Uh, but it is not the same. It is not up to the caliber as, um, as the higher-end Macs uh, that can be made available. I mean, even the iPad Air has more GPUs and CPU cores than the iPhone, uh, even though they're both the A14. So Apple could play that game where they just name it the same thing but change what's inside, or they can give the actual chip a different name, which they did a little bit with the A12X and the A12Z. Um, so I can see I can see them going that route as well, but not just between the consumer... Uh, being a phone and the professional being an iPad Pro, they also have the iPad Pro, which is the same thing as in MacBook Air, which is consumer, and they need to kind of level that up to more powerful uh, MacBook Pros and then ultimately the most powerful Mac, whatever that is. Whatever that Hopefully is. still not an Intel. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. I don't, I can't, so I can't fathom what that mac is like performance wise like do you really think there's like they're going they're just going to unveil something either a dub dub or september that's like going to blow us out of the water when it comes to specs i mean the m1, m1 is already max what was were, that did that right the m1 max did that i mean they i think they definitely conservatively could, no, yeah no, they're not absolutely. even pushing any power envelope yeah so I, I guess, think yeah. that single core performance, they can probably have. Something You're asking, that... can they do it again? Right? Can they do that again? It, yeah, especially cause... in it's such a short period of time. Yeah, that, can... I think that that's my question because it's like the M1 blew everyone and everything out of the water. Uh, single core, without a question. Uh, Multi core on a on a per watt basis, right? So my question is, do you guys really think that if we forgo the per watt measurement, they just 
amp everything up to the max, is that like is that going to be way better than Intel or is it just like I don't know like that yeah that's my question. Well, I can see it in two ways. The M2 will probably be faster single core than the M1. And if we look at the progression that the iPhone has been making, it will probably be significantly so, like a good 10 to 20% faster on single Mm -hmm. core. Now, if we just take the M2 out of the equation, we're just talking about, let's see if they do an M1 and an M1S. Uh, The M1S could double the core count from four high-performance cores to eight or to 12 and dramatically see a big performance win on many machines. And that is... That's that's easy for them to do. Like it's not it's it's not a significant technical challenge to just scale up that way, especially because they're not really doing much on their chip heat wise. Like they have the thermal capacity and they have the the energy um, uh, bound, uh, what's that called budget uh, mm. to go ahead and expand in that way. Um, and the reason why I differ, I like differentiating between a hypothetical M1S and an M1X is the M1S would just up the core counts. The yep. M1X would be the expandable version of that, which would be the Xeon uh, from Intel's parlance, where there's just a huge amount of I.O. lanes that are now available to it. And by having a huge amount of I.O. lanes means you can have more Thunderbolt ports, more expansion PCI cards. Uh, more of everything, and that's ir- that's separate from the performance story. So we have the performance story, which is just adding more cores, and then the expandability story, which is adding to the capabilities of your machine uh, that are not dictated by the CPU speed. Maybe even the GPU is something that can be added uh, as an extra, where you have more CPU in the M1S, but then the GPU is a separate chip that communicates directly to it, uh, with a separate heat sink and all those sorts of things. So I think so do... I think the bottom line is like what Dimitri just laid out is that it's not necessarily going to blow us away from just pure raw horsepower because we're already running supercars. <laughs> but instead, what they might do is they might give you more extensibility or more flexibility in the way that you set up your computing system. Um, or they do they they do sort of un they unlock the things that we think they can unlock, right? Like because, for example, the MacBook Air is its thermal envelope is limited because it is fanless and because it's so thin and all that. That if they're like, if you just give it more space and put some fans in there, um, which real they fans. do, sort of, yeah, real fans. Yeah, they which they really did for maybe... the Mac Mini and the iMac. And as we saw, right. it's it's faster, but not not significantly faster. Not yeah. It's just you can you can run it at top speed for longer, um, but you don't really ever notice that drop on the MacBook Air. Uh, for all intents and purposes, yeah. But but yeah, I, I think that's that's the perfect story to my question, which is, if you had like a like a, my Hagendash used to have this huge ra- radiator. Uh, I can speak English. Radiator was that? Yeah, yep. thing yeah. Thing that goes on top. Like <laughs> uh-huh. it was literally the size of my head. It was two pounds, like literally two pounds. Uh, if you had something like that on the M1 chip. Could you crank it up to the max? I imagine so, because it's running at a fairly low frequency of 3.2 gigahertz compared to the high ends of, like, 5. So it might not scale linearly in that way, uh, but it can really boost things by going from 3.2 to 4 or to 5. 
if anything, just for that single core performance. If you have multiple cores, then you can do many more things all at once. And remember, the M1 is only a four core machine. We like to, Apple likes to call it an eight core machine, but if you want to compare quote unquote mm-hmm. apples to apples mm-hmm. with other chips, it's a four core machine and it behaves like it. It's about four times faster at multi-core than at a single core. And that's because the four low performance cores, they eat nothing. Uh, and they, they do nothing at the same time. Like most computing tasks, they don't need uh, a Ferrari to kind of get their work done. Yep. Um, and therefore, they're perfectly used um, for those tasks. But as soon as you open up Zoom and you do need that, that Ferrari to go Zoom Zoom, uh, then then that's when you, when you want those high performance cores. And having more of those means you can zoom more people at once, I guess. Uh, Dimitri, from... it's not Ferrari. It's Mazda that goes Zoom Zoom. You should... Oh, yep. I'm sorry. Yep. From all the commercials, you should know that by now. (laughs) No, but that really hypes me up because regardless if it's an M1S or an M2, if they just put eight cores, eight high performance cores in there and they just ramp it up with great thermals, they're going to blow us out of the water. Like the M1 is going to be like really slow compared to that, to the new Pro machines, right? Yeah, so I, I would expect the M2 to be faster in terms of single core performance, but still have eight cores. For Agreed. the okay, MacBook perfect. Air, yeah, for yeah, everything. Yeah. And then, uh, quote-unquote, M2S would be for the higher-end MacBook Pro, the higher-end iMacs. Uh, and then an M2X would be for the Mac Pro, which is the the supercar of the computers. That Those are my like expectations if I were in charge of uh, chip development at Apple, um, which I'm not. So take it all with <laughs> a very small grain of salt. Um <laughs> So uh, we did have one last thing that got announced um, in terms of hardware, and that is a new Apple TV 4K. So, Ben, you were uh, in the market for a new Apple TV 4K, and you did not want to buy an old Apple TV 4K. So now you have a new Apple TV 4K. I think Technically, that's the like, second to like last Nintendo. thing they've, the hardware they've they announced. They also announced a purple iPhone, new... but, you know... <laughs> It's exactly the same. It's just in purple. Um, but yeah, uh, Apple TV 4K update. It's just called the new Apple TV 4K. So great. Uh, <laughs> makes it difficult to talk about. But um, uh, not much, not major differences here. Um, it looks like uh, A12 chip rather than an A10X. Um, yeah. a, same as the old iPad Pros as a benchmark, right. which Apple claimed uh, as Xbox 360 <laughs> performance. Okay. Um, HDMI 2.1, which does that mean that the old one had 2.0 or 2.0 a, okay, great. So HDMI is just as good as, uh, as the USB standard where they, where they have a million names and none of them make any sense. Um, (laughs) so new HDMI standard, uh, calibration versus the, with the, uh, the iPhone colorimeter, which they did also, I heard later on Twitter or somewhere that they're going to bring that functionality to the older, um, at least the older 4K, maybe even the older HD Apple Ooh. TV. So that's And it cool. depends on the iPhone, not the Apple TV. The, the Apple right. TV is just putting a color on screen. Right, right. Um, and and then sort of maybe the most important thing, uh, because it's the thing that you inter- you actually interface with all the time on your Apple TV, is a new remote, a new Siri-backed uh, remote. Um, it is a... Uh, it is blissfully no longer a giant hunk of glass that will immediately shatter the minute it touches the ground. I have two Apple TVs and both of their remotes have shattered glass on them because you just can't, it's, and I'm careful with my stuff, but like, it's just impossible. 
No, um, it's like it's butterfly keyboard and then slightly behind that remote. Like that I remote, yeah. Hate it with a passion. It's yeah, awful. It's terrible. Yeah. Like it's yeah, it's terrible. I'm I'm so happy when several people tweeted at me when the remote was unveiled like, "Yay, new remote." And I was like, "Yeah, that's exactly my thing. That's a hill I will die on." It's a horrible <laughs> device. Yeah. It is And they kind of listened to what I was saying in a previous episode where Apple should have uh, like indentations in the directional yes. touchscreen pad so that way you oh, don't feel yeah. from the outside. They have multiple regions where like you right. have that scroll wheel that's separate from mm -hmm. that center area, but the whole thing's yeah. still touch surface. So you can start from the center, but right. not from the outside and get all confused. You can still feel with your fingers. Like, right. They have yeah, so I'm excited about the essentially the D pad, right? That gives you top, mm -hmm. to up, down, left, and right. That's really nice for just sort of clicking um to select different things sort of one at a time rather than because i end up like swiping my finger on the current remote and it's like i want to go one space over and it's like oh no did you mean four spaces over it's like no i did not mean that what are you doing so i'm excited about to be able to sort of be more precise i also really like the idea of the scroll wheel for for jogging uh mm -hmm. sort of backwards and forwards in a video i think that's cool um i'm also super happy that it looks like we're not going to have that stupid uh, click near the edge of the touchpad to get it to skip forward and back, but don't make sure oh, you don't right. get that quite qu not quite right because then there's something else. Yeah, that if you you're too low, to do. then it doesn't work, and you're like, why is it not doing what I want? Just pause. Terrible. It. <laughs> um, the Siri button is on the side, which so it's a chunkier remote. It looks like it's going to be thicker than the yep. previous one, which and larger, also, much larger, and larger. I'm happy about that. I don't know if I love. They're like, oh, Siri's on the side, just like it is on the iPhone, because the sleep wake button act, acts as the Siri button on on the iPhone. Uh, cool, I guess. I don't, I mean, I don't really get why that's better. Uh, I just bought a new TV. I bought the TCL six series 4k TV and their TV remote has its volume controls also on the side of the remote. Oh, it's like that's a phone. Apparently a thing now. I don't know. It's whatever. Um, so I don't, I don't have strong feelings about that either way. Uh, we, I don't use the Siri feature that much on my Apple TV, so I I'd probably just ignore it. Um, I'm willing to bet it's because people accidentally press it when they main play pause. I do that but, yeah, all the probably. time. Every time yeah. I try to press play pause, I accidentally hit the Siri button. Yes. And then Siri comes on and then like pressing yes. play and pause no longer plays in pause. So you can't even course correct at that point. You have to press right. the Siri button again. So that's I also like fixing that, that. Um, the new remote has, let me, let me find it. So the new remote has a specific power button in the upper right corner of the, of yes. the remote. And that is designed to turn off your TV. Um, so that's cool. Uh, and then um, a mute So the button, current remote I... will do that. Uh, it will turn right. off your TV it if will... you do to the sleep uh, through CDC. But when right. you want to turn on your TV, sometimes that takes a while. If right. your Apple TV is on but your TV is not and you press menu, that will exit you out of whatever context you're in. And that's kind of like a right. safe button to press. Yep. Um, yeah. And same for waking up the remote. Like you have to press something. Right. Is the right. remote awake or not? So I think that power right. button is probably there to fix that. And uh, mute, uh, mute. They had a volume control, but now it has mute as well, which is nice. Um, and then the back button, which is really it's the button that takes you backwards in the in the view hierarchy, right? Mm -hmm. That used to be called menu forever, and they have switched that glyph rather than being the word menu. Now it is a the left arrow, the left chevron, which is the same uh, arrow that they use as a back button on iOS. Um, so I'm excited about that as well, that that is, that makes a lot more sense that like, I want to go backwards in the view hierarchy. Well, then I hit back, not menu, right? Like I'm sure that's a response to the fact that people probably 
gave them all kinds of support requests about like how do I back up right how do I back up in, on the Apple TV. We've been menu complaining not... about Android for years, right? Yeah. So yeah. I I don't know like they've had a, a back menu and the the issue that I've seen people complain about is that the back menu does one thing if you're in one screen and it does another yes. thing if it's you're in another consistent. screen. Right. And it's the same thing with this menu button. Right. It does one right. thing when you're in one screen and then another yes. thing when you're in another screen. It's very frustrating. Yeah. So, And for the most part, it works. But uh, I'd like to have a shout out to HBO Now, Go, whatever you want to call yourself now. Uh, that app will sometimes get stuck and it will forget that you can press menu to go back to the home screen. So you can go oh, all yep. the way back yep. to HBO's menu, but you can't go oh, further back than that. Home. Unless nice. you know the special gesture of holding the menu button that will get you back to the home screen, but who who actually knows that? Oh, I I didn't know that. So. Yeah. So <laughs> there we go. Um, so yeah, all in all, much Im- looks like hopefully much improved. And interestingly, um, they're going to sell it as a fifty nine dollar uh, accessory that you will work with both the four K, the old four K Apple TV, and the HD Apple TV, the ten eighty P version. Um, so if even if you don't want to buy a new uh, a new TV, you can still get the better remote. Um, with your older device. So I'm actually not, I'm welcome. a little, yeah, certainly welcome. I'm a little on the fence whether I actually want to upgrade to this new 4K TV. We did just buy a new TV, like I said, but uh, we have a 4K Apple TV now. Um, and the majority of my complaints with it are the remote. So if I can just buy the remote, I might be happy. Um, and uh, we were talking, you know, uh, in the pre-show about like, w- what is it that's better about this TV compared to the previous Apple TV? And uh, and you mentioned Dimitri that um, it's going to enable uh, higher def- uh, higher bit rate or high HDR. So basically, better... HDMI two point one. What that enables yeah. is the frame rate no longer needs to be static. So the device right. can say to the display, "Hey, I'm going to be sending you a different cadence of frames, so you don't need to do like a three to two pull down and make things choppy uh, and stuff like that." So the current Apple TV can do this. But your TV will kind of flash off and then turn back on mm. as it resets to a new frame rate. Um, this will only work on a display that supports HDMI 2.1. So if you do not have that, uh, you do not get this benefit. Uh, something to keep in mind. Only the brand newest of new TVs have it. Uh, so just be aware. Uh, and then the only other benefit is having an A12 if you want to do stuff like Apple Arcade games, um, right. which apparently there are a lot more new ones. Uh, that's a mm-hmm. much better baseline than the A10X, which was in the old uh, Apple right. TV, which kind of struggled at 4K um, to do yeah. anything other than video. So we might we might actually upgrade. Just go ahead and upgrade to the new one, and then put the old Apple TV uh, in. We have a, a gym in our garage, and I'm kind of interested in maybe like buying a small, like cheap TV, and then putting it in, putting that and the Apple TV in the garage to run uh, Apple Fitness Plus. Um, out there to do workouts and stuff. So maybe maybe the old Apple TV will become the gym Apple TV. I, I don't know. We, we have, I still kind of undecided. Looks like I have until the 30th to decide because that's, that's when they go on uh, on, sale, on sale or when you can order them. Um, so, uh, But at a minimum, at, at, a, at the bare minimum, definitely buying... We actually have two. We have an HD one and a 4K one. I'm definitely buying new remotes if nothing oh, else because, yes. wow, I cannot wait... In fact, right now we actually can't find the remotes; they're they're buried somewhere, um, which is, brings up another point. Uh, so this isn't necessarily going to be easier to find or or, or harder to lose. Maybe it has so, a U one in it. Does it? Well, a bunch of people on Twitter were like, "Why didn't you put an AirTag with be... the U one chip in the remote and then make it so I can find it with Find My?" And maybe they're hiding that feature, and that will become a 
you know, a sleeper feature when, when we get them. But, but like, come on, Apple, it's so obvious. That would be because how often, do, I mean, literally, it's, it's missing right now. Like, we can't find it. So, so that would be cool. Uh, the final thing that wasn't even announced in terms of hardware uh, is the Mac Mini gets 10 gigabit Ethernet now, uh, which was kind of spoiled when the Mac Mini originally came out anyways. It was on the, the business order sheets as an mm. availability option that never was available. Um, so that's cool. Um, but that's that's basically it for new hardware. Uh, we do have new podcast subscriptions in Apple Podcasts. Uh, mm-hmm. so you'll see us going paid very soon. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we probably have no current plans of making this entirely a paid podcast. So, uh, please continue to listen. It's your listening ship that keeps us going. Um, and, uh, there is also Apple card family where you can share your Apple card and not just Apple cash, uh, with family members. So that's cool. So I actually missed that in the I missed that in the keynote. Um, does that mean that is it is it like when you get a credit card at a regular bank where you can add exactly. another person's name? I think name? it's exactly that. Okay, That's but nice. I did. They I, mentioned something about merging, so maybe people with an existing Apple card, you can oh, go ahead and say, okay. "We are family." Like make make this one credit line, um, okay. but I'm not too sure. And I did see something. Um, uh, I saw um, Curtis Herbert from of Slopes fame. He's an indie iOS developer on Twitter say that uh, something about how even though you're going to create a family card where maybe you are the primary cardholder and someone else has a card that they can use uh, to, to make purchases, um, normally in that situation, only one person gets credit for the credit. Like they only get on their credit history. Only one person is, is it's affecting their credit history. And he said something about in the announcement that they were going to somehow make it so that you both get credit, which basically allows someone the that's, other person that's, that's how involved normal cards work credit. though it like is? if you put someone else on your card that person will it will show up on their credit report oh okay i was under the impression that, that was not that's, true that's but... normal i think okay well then there we go yeah cool um and that's it for apple's announcements so we have a lot to kind of look forward to ahead of wwdc um and it's excitement ahead yeah this week's episode is brought to you by Swiftly Built and their advanced data display course. Come learn about collection views, generic, stiffable data sources, compositional layouts, and local notifications in a brand new course by our very own Ben Golke. During the month of May, Ben will be teaching an immersive course with live instruction where you'll learn all about collection views, protocol-oriented programming, dynamic data sets, advanced layout techniques, and the iOS notification system. The course will be live taught with practice material focused on the topics discussed and the month will culminate in a capstone project where you'll put all these new skills into practice in a week-long final app tickets are available now on eventbrite uh, linked in the show notes or search for swiftly built on eventbrite.com the course starts on may 1st so you don't want to wait to sign up uh, because it will start without you otherwise Uh, so thanks uh, once again to swiftly built and their course on advanced data display for sponsoring code completion now that we've gone through our topics, it's time for Complete the Code, where we quiz our listeners on your knowledge of Swift, Apple, and all things development. Uh, so we have a winner for last week. Ben, do you want to take it away? Sure. Last week's prompt was a delayed task class that we showed you, and the description for it is that we have that class with two properties, a with a complete set to false and an optional dispatch work item called task. Finally, a method called configure sets task to a new dispatch work item, and in the completion block is a dispatch async after to the main queue with a weak capture of self so it can set complete to true after five seconds. 
But the problem is in that code there somewhere, there is a memory leak. So we asked if you could spot and fix it for us. And we did find someone who could do that. We have a winner, Nico, 2CO underscore P on Twitter. Um, and their suggestion is to uh, that the outer closure needs the capture list, not the inner one. So you want to put the weak self uh, for the work item. Um, thanks once again to David Wright for sending in the prompt. We are always looking for uh, interesting prompts for Complete the Code. So if you have something that you think we m- that might stump our audience, please tweet at us at Code Completion, and we might use it on the show. For this week, we have a different one, a tricky one for you, um, in which uh, in which order would Swift prioritize the following overloaded methods? And if you look either, if you listen to the podcast, uh, either in the show notes or as the album art for this chapter, um, we have a screenshot of all these different function definitions. Um, five overloaded methods. The first takes a generic argument of type binary floating point. The second, a generic argument of type binary floating point and decodable. The third, a generic argument of type decodable. The fourth, an argument of type double. And a fifth, uh, of generic type, a generic argument of type numeric. If this method were called with a double as an argument, which order would the Swift compiler rank the overloaded methods when determining which one to call? If you think you know, send us a tweet at CodeCompletion, and if you're right, we'll feature you on the show. And this is one of those classic ways in, in which Swift is way more complicated than Objective-C, because in Objective-C, you just don't have overloaded methods, right? Right. So with all that out of the way, it's time for Compiler Error, a segment where I get to test my fellow completionist knowledge about Swift, Apple, and all things development. So today we had air tags that were announced, uh, which means that AirTags are the topic for today. Ooh. <laughs> of course. So How it's, timely it's of you. More accurate to say that ultra wideband is the topic um, because AirTags pa- Air use the U1 chip, uh, which it takes advantage of ultra wideband. So uh, let's go through these one at a time. Uh, so, number one, ultra wideband, or UWB for short, is a specific technology for short range, low energy, high bandwidth communication over a large portion of radio spectrum. Statement number two. Apple's U1 chip can accurately position another U1 device within an omnidirectional field of view as long as the devices are within 100 feet of each other. Statement number three, formerly known as pulse radio, UWB works by generating radio energy at specific time intervals over a large bandwidth, where the polarity and timing of the pulse determine the data being transmitted. So despite these devices not having a U1 chip, AirTags are compatible with iPhone SE, iPhone 6S, or later, so long as they are running iOS 14.5 or later. Fernando, why don't you go first? Mm. Right off the bat, I wonder if the uh, I wonder if you if the official name for the SE second generation is iPhone SE. Because otherwise, there's no way the first-generation SE is running 14.5. So This would I be get... the time for me to nitpick after Ben said I don't nitpick enough, right? <laughs> yes. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, the others, I mean the other the other three sound very believable. All of them. Uh 100 feet sounds reasonable, especially like it, it It would be unreasonable if it were like 100 feet like in a house. But I can definitely see that it's quote unquote short range. And if you had like an open an open field, 100 feet would be doable. Um, 
I don't know. AirTags, like the the uh, number four is interesting because the S E N the six S. Assuming they have Find My, uh, they should be able to see AirTags. I would even venture to say that that you. I don't know if if AirTags need fourteen point five or not. So. I will go with number three. <laughs> Sold to the man with the parrot on his shoulder. Polarity isn't even a word, I'm pretty sure. Okay, Ben, before we get into <laughs> All right. <laughs> into uh, <physics>. So <laughs> the first one seems reasonable. Ultra wideband is what it's called, and I believe its acronym or its initialism is UWB. Um, uh, and short range, low energy, high bandwidth communication over a large portion of the radio spectrum all sounds reasonable. We're probably overlooking something, but again, sounds reasonable. Second one, you one chip, uh, 100 feet also seems reasonable. Um, uh, the third one uh, sounds made up in the sense that like maybe <laughs> maybe like pulse radio wasn't what it was called right again maybe maybe this is the time Dimitri's going to get nitpicky and like it's generally true except that the name is wrong I who knows I've never heard of pulse radio but that doesn't mean anything because I've not heard of lots of things uh, <laughs> so it doesn't really help me <laughs> um, so generating radio energy at specific time intervals over a large bandwidth where the polarity and timing of the pulse determine the data being transmitted that's interesting. I, I'm I'm gonna go with a maybe on that. And then the fourth one, uh, I think you inadvertently gave this away earlier, Dimitri, because you claimed that the AirTag system first used Bluetooth to track down the tag, and then used U1 to sort of narrow you down and get you get you the rest of the way. So that yeah. would mean that potentially older devices that don't have a U1 could still interface with AirTags because they could just use pure Bluetooth. That's a bunch of conjecture, but I but I, I put that together and maybe that's true. Um, so in that case, even the old SE might work, assuming that the old the first gen SE can support fourteen point five, which I don't even remember if the first SE supports fourteen at all. So that's a concern. But uh, also, it could be that uh, we aren't remembering that the. I don't think the new SE Fernando is called the SE two. I think it's just called the iPhone SE. I, like yeah. that's that's yeah, Apple's mo. They like rename stuff and then just call it the same thing like they don't actually give it a new gen name so it's very possible that that actually refers to the second gen se which is really the what the iphone 8 uh rebranded um so in that case it would be able to run if i was 14 so i i think i'm gonna go with i think four is correct so i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with three only because the other two, because if we're discounting four, no. <laughs> <laughs> because the first two just seem reasonable, straightforward, and and likely true. So I am not voting for three because I I think that it's wrong. I'm voting against the other three because I think they're all right. A fair Done. way to vote. There's going to be a sweep either way. Yep. <laughs> okay, so. Uh, let's go in reverse order, uh, since uh, I did kind of give away that the um, iPhone uh, SE, the iPhone 6S, and later could operate with AirTags because of Bluetooth, uh, and that is 100% correct. 
Uh, this is the line that's straight out of the AirTags compatibility list. Mm. Um, ironically enough, when they mention uh, the iPads, they start bringing in the parentheses with five, fifth generation or later and all that. Um, so they love the generations with the iPads, but they dare not use them with iPhones. <laughs> um, but this one's 100% correct. So the AirTags do have Bluetooth along with the U1, so they will work just fine. Just the precision finding uh, won't work. Right. Uh, let's go on to number one. Uh, so this is what ultra wideband is, and it's completely true. So it uses uh, short range, low energy, and high bandwidth communication to uh, communicate between two devices. So it's not just finding. You can send uh, information, I think, upwards of 500 megabits per second, uh, so quite quickly, uh, between two devices. So uh, it's being considered for personal hotspots uh, and personal networks between mm. a user's own devices. Now going to number two, um, the U1 chip, uh, it works by using ultra wideband, as we know. Um, now I have a question for both of you. Uh, if Have either of you ever used AirDrop uh, between two U1 capable devices? I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, same here. Because okay, the new, so, like my iMac doesn't have a U1 chip, does it? No, no. Just, no. Okay. just the modern iPhones basically. Oh, okay. So no. if you had, or if you had watched Apple's WWDC session on the U1 chip, you would know that it's very peculiar about how you hold your device. So if it is flat on the ground, it will tell you, raise your device to use U1. Mm. And the reason it does that is because the U1 chip is not omnidirectional. Oh. In fact, mm. it sees better in one direction, which helps... When you move your device, it can go ahead and, mm. like, you're getting warmer, you're getting warmer For ranging, kind of thing. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, right. so that's how it kind of finds things and helps you directionally uh, determine if you're close. So this one is uh, the compiler error, unfortunately, uh, and mainly oh, for wait, that reason. Seeing, Fernando, seeing he, he threw me off the trail. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. The seeing In fact, it won't work at all. It's not a, it, wouldn't it, would it not work at all? Yeah, it wouldn't be able to tell where something is if you hold the phone flat. You have to hold it this way, so that way it can send out a beam and hear the response. Um, so is and that that's because actually, the Earth is flat? Definitely. <laughs> um, so I don't know how how long of a distance uh, the U1 works. So I just pulled out 400 feet, um, but uh, 100 feet, I mean. Uh, but that omnidirectional aspect of it is actually mm. uh, quite important, and they actually bring it up in the WWDC session and on um, on. Uh, what's it called? Air sharing? No. Um, Airdrop. Airdrop. I don't know why I forgot that in that moment. Um, but it will actually give you an animation to raise your device to go ahead and use it for the directional airdrop. Um, of course, you have to have like three of them to actually be able to tell the difference anyways. Uh, but that's going to be used for the precision uh, finding. Um, and that goes on to number three, which both of you guessed incorrectly. Um it is known as pulse radio, and that's because it will send out a pulse many, many times per second over a large spectrum. So it doesn't impact any other spectrum that's currently being mm. used. In fact, it doesn't use the spectrum for the data. It uses the fact that there's a pulse as the data. So these pulses become encoded cool. uh, as, mm. as like time goes on, and that's how it can find things, because as you get closer or farther, 
the Doppler effect of the pulses, you know, the the uh, ambulance going by uh, uh-huh. kind yeah. of effect that will happen with your device as it's moving or as something else is moving and it can go ahead and tell the direction and the speed and where something is uh that way um nice. and fernando polarity is a <laughs> physics term for light uh and basically if the light oscillates this way or this way though that's the polarization so what angle the light is coming in at i'm an engineer um, of course i know i have a few polarities <laughs> right around my desk somewhere <laughs> like symmetry please i know excellent <laughs> kindergarten stuff right <laughs> Well, and, and that, of course, all makes sense now because uh, because Bluetooth, right, as a technology, can't do any of those things because it's just sending out yep. sort of, you know, a signal. And then and then the device way. that's receiving it is just receiving it, for, you know, in an in an omnidirectional way. Right, and so yeah. then you can't do any kind of ranging. You can be like, it's it's within range. Like I can I can hear it. But I can't tell you at all where it is, right? Spatially mm-hmm. compared to you. So the fact that, like the that the UN ships, uh, you know, that it's it's reception and sending of data is uh, is directional yep. actually then makes total sense because that's what enables it to be something that can that can be like a um, uh, not a tuning fork. What's the other thing? A divining rod or whatever. Where like it 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 right. takes oh, you right. the, uh... yeah it takes you to yeah. the to the thing. So. Well, good try, both of you. Better Too bad we thought of that time. all after. <laughs> <laughs> it all makes sense in retrospect. Yeah. So, as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at CodeCompletion to know when new episodes get released. Uh, and feel free to tweet at us if there are any topics you want us to discuss on this uh, wonderful podcast. Uh, once again, I want to give my thanks to Ben, who is at FairSky. That's F-E-R-R-O-U-S-G-U-Y on Twitter. Uh, and Fernando, who is at From Junior to Senior, that's F-R-O-M-J-R-T-O-S-R on Twitter, uh, for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buñol. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.